Well, I guess it is my first opportunity to say Happy New Year. Uh, as I haven't been with you the past couple of weeks, I hope that your new year has been off to a wonderful start so far. You know, the thing with a new year is a new year oftentimes brings about a lot of opportunity. Uh, a new year brings about a lot of hope for expectation, how things can get better, things can change. And oftentimes with a new year brings a lot of goals physical as well as spiritual. As the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, he gave Timothy a very important spiritual goal. I want to share it with you this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, there beginning of verse 6, Paul wrote, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself godliness so here we see that the goal the goal that Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would write to Timothy and say Timothy this is your goal this is not only the goal for you this will be the goal for the church at Ephesus that you're ministering to the church that you're serving there all these years later the same goal is ours we have before us the goal to be a a godly people I'm sure that a few weeks ago you probably sat down and, and maybe you either wrote it out or at least thought it through in your mind, some type of list of New Year resolutions. I want to encourage you, if it is not already there, I want to encourage you today to put this at the very top of your list. Far ahead of, of anything else that you might hope to accomplish this year, I want to strive for godliness it'll make a difference in our life in, in a major way not only our life but in the lives of others to strive for godliness you, you talk about setting the bar high to strive for godliness means that we will try to be more like god every day 24 7 striving to be like jesus more consistently in every situation, we'll be more loving, we'll be more forgiving, we'll be more understanding, we'll be more merciful, we'll be more honest, we'll be kinder, gentler, more patient. We will strive to be like the very nature of God in every life circumstance that we face. You talk about setting the bar kind of high. What, what do we do though? What do we do whenever it seems as a goal might be a little bit out of our reach? What do we do whenever a goal seems as though it may not, not be as attainable as we'd hoped? Sometimes we reset the goal. Sometimes we, we start off up here but then we go, I don't know if that's attainable, so I'm going to bring it down here. So it's a little bit easier to reach. When I was 13 years old, I had a pretty big crush on Cindy Crawford. And y'all probably don't know who she is, but I had a pretty big crush on Cindy Crawford. 
I made up my mind, my goal was, when I grew up, I was going to go out on a date with Cindy Crawford. By the time I was about 14, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe a date with a supermodel is going to be out of the question one day. So I brought it down a little bit, and hey, by the time I hit about 15 or 16, I thought, you know, if I could just get a girl to go out with me, man, that would be great, wouldn't it? It doesn't have to be Cindy Crawford anymore. We do that with our goals in life. We go, I want to do this, but that's really hard. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it down here where it's a little more attainable. But you know, we're not the first to do that. The Pharisees, they did that too. Matter of fact, interestingly enough, the Pharisees, they would actually take the standard of God and sometimes they would actually raise the bar even higher than God's standards and other times they would lower it so that the, the expectations were their own and not God's. So Jesus comes along and Jesus makes sure that everyone knows where the, the bar is supposed to be. See, the Pharisees, they said, here's the bar, don't kill anybody. Jesus said, no, no, that's not the bar. You're not even supposed to hate anybody. The Pharisees said, all right, here's the bar, don't sleep with another man's wife. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're not even supposed to lust after someone else. The, the Pharisees said, right, right here it is, it's, a, it's an eye for an eye. This is where the bar is. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, no, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. You see, Jesus, he, he put the bar really high for us, didn't he? There in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's setting that, that goal, that, that bar of godliness pretty, pretty high. So how are we then supposed to strive for that goal of godliness? Let's go back to our passage. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he would say again in verse 7, rather train yourselves for godliness. Then if you skip down to verses 9 and 10, he says the saying is trustworthy and deser deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. So here Paul uses three different words to help us understand the length that we should go to in striving for godliness. He, he uses three words here that paint the picture of an athlete and show exactly how, how far an athlete will go, how hard an athlete will train to be able and, and reach the goals that have been set before him or her. Let's look at what these three words mean real quickly. Train simply means to exercise. The word toil means to work to the point of weariness. Strive means to exert the very last ounce of energy. Let's pause here a moment. Can we, can we honestly say today, that that is the type of effort that we are putting into our spiritual life. That that is the type of effort that we are striving for as we strive to reflect the very nature of God in our day-to-day -day life. Are we training? Are we toiling? Are we striving? I would suggest that most Christians 
including myself, this is not what our spiritual regiment looks like. Our spiritual regiment probably more resembles someone just taking a, a leisurely walk on a day that they feel like it. Our spiritual regiment probably doesn't reflect people who are really training. You want to see people who are training? Go, go by like a CrossFit gym sometime. And if you go by like a CrossFit gym, you will see people who are working. I mean, they're giving it their all from the moment they get there to the moment they leave. And when they leave, they are sweaty and they are tired and they are exhausted. Why? Because they're training. They're, they're putting forth effort. We say, we say we want to be like Jesus, but the reality is we're not training or toiling or striving the way that we should. Sure, we'll show up for worship and Bible class and and maybe on a good week, maybe we'll spend a couple moments at the beginning or the end of the day in prayer or private study. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, every few weeks we'll devote an hour or so to some ministry. That's not training, toiling, and striving though, is it? At best, that's just trying to soothe our conscience and make ourselves feel like we're doing what we need to do. And, and what is this like? leisurely walk what is it produced in our spiritual life spiritual weaklings people whose faith is weak people whose relationship with god is uncertain people who blend in much more with this world than resembling and reflecting the image of christ on a daily basis. Church, there has never been a time, a time when we need to strive for godliness in our life as we do today. God has given us a, a new year. He's given us a new day. And with that comes the hope, the expectation that we'll live our life in a way that's pleasing to Him. In a way that reflects our relationship with Him. A life that reflects His, His image to the world around us. Here it's almost as if Paul becomes like a, a personal spiritual trainer for young Timothy. And he reminds them of what it's going to take for his own spiritual training to be effective. You see, for any regiment to be effective, you've got to know two things. You've got to know how to train, and you've got to know why. You've got to know your motivation for why you're training. And so Paul begins letting him know, well, here's the knowledge of how to train. And first of all, he's going to say that nutrition is key. All great athletes understand this. Well, even all subpar athletes understand this. Nutrition is so important. And when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to us striving for godliness, then nutrition is going to be foundational for our success. Paul would write in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Timothy, you've been trained, you've been trained in the 
the words of faith. That is the Old Testament. You, you've followed the good doctrine. That is the doctrine of Christ. And now Timothy is to continue in these things and to share these things with the brethren there at Ephesus. They're to spend time with one another in the Scriptures. Biblical malnutrition is probably one of the greatest reasons why we oftentimes see so little difference in the lives of believers and non-believers. Surveys show time and time again that people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, they spend very little personal time in the Word of God each week. Now what that means, what that means is that far too many people have become completely dependent on being fed spiritually based on what they hear in an assembly such as this. I, I wonder, how many, how many of you are going to eat lunch today? I assume all of us are going to eat lunch somewhere today, whether at a restaurant or at home. We'll go, we'll, we'll eat, we'll enjoy the meal, it'll be a good lunch, and, and you'll say, man, I'm full, that was really good. Now, how many of you are going to wait till next Sunday to eat again? None of us. None of us are going to wait a whole week before we're fed again. We can't survive. Then why is it that way with our spiritual life? Why is it that, that somewhere along the way we've, we've kind of come to the conclusion, well, as long as I get fed on Sunday, I can make it till next Sunday. No, no, we, we, we should be a people who are praying and, and studying and reading and meditating the Word of God. So that as we face life and all that life has to throw at us, we can stand firm on the truths and the promises of God that we see and we find in His Word. For the sake of your spiritual health, for the sake of your soul, I would encourage us all to be spending more and more time here. It's where we're nourished. It's where we're fed. So nourishment is an important part, but exercising our faith is also a very important part. Again, we go back to this passage in Timothy. He uses this word train. The Greek word here is gymnasium, where we get the word gym, which means exercise. So what does it mean then to exercise one's faith? It means that we finally begin to put into practice that which we've learned. We begin to exercise our faith. For example, if you're like me, there are probably times in your studies or, or in lessons, maybe someone will, will present a lesson about how Jesus, how he was so willing to obey the Father. And that it was all about the Father's will in his life. And, and we, we kind of marvel at that, don't we? We just sit and we listen and we hear that and go, that's amazing. That's amazing how Jesus could live on this earth and His life was not for His own will, but, but for the will of the Father, for the will of, of Him who sent Him. And we go, man, it's, it's absolutely astounding. 
to exercise my faith then means I reach a point in my own life where I don't just marvel at the faithfulness of Jesus, but now I decide that I'm going to begin to live my life in such a way that it's not about my will, but it's about the will of the Father. That's exercising our faith. That's putting it into practice. Another thing we see here is the need to be focused. Listen, lack of focus can be a terrible downfall for any athlete. And I think the Apostle Paul understood that, not only for an athlete, but he understood that when it came to the life of you and I, our spiritual life. If we lack focus, then that in itself can be our downfall. And so he would write to Timothy and he would say, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In Ephesus, there was a lot of misinformation. There there was a lot of things that could have surely distracted Timothy. Uh, A lot of misinformation, a lot of myths, a lot of fables. And Paul says, Timothy, don't get involved with all that. Timothy, don't, don't waste your time or your energy chasing those things. Why? Because those things are irreverent. What does that mean? That means those things have absolutely nothing to do with God. Timothy, don't waste your time or your energy chasing after things that are pointless. Anybody else still have that problem today? Anybody else ever spent, or should I say, wasted time doing things that ultimately were pointless? In 2020, studies show that people spent, on average, over five hours in front of a screen every day. It wasn't for work, it was just recreational time. Over five hours every day spent in front of a computer screen, a TV screen, or your phone. It could have been watching movies, it could have been uh, surfing the internet, it could have been playing on social media. That's a lot of wasted time every single day. A lot of pointless time. Every single day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much closer we might be to the goal of godliness if even we sacrificed some of that time for prayer or for study or or for encouraging or serving other people? I'd encourage us all this year. With a new year comes a new opportunity. And a new opportunity comes to, to really begin to think about how, how I spend my time. Am, am I spending my time, am I wasting my time on pointless things that are distracting me from my relationship with God, that are ultimately pulling me away from Him as opposed to helping me to draw closer to Him? But what's our motivation? I mean, why, why should we get so fired up about striving for godliness? With the beginning of every new year, motivation to change is usually pretty high in most people, and that's a good thing. But, listen, if you're like me, 
that motivation to change usually wanes about the first part of February and then come Valentine's Day most New Year's resolutions have been pushed aside and forgotten. So how can we keep our motivation high? Even when we don't want to do it. Even on days where we don't feel compelled to strive for godliness. How do we do it? How do we continue to serve other people when we feel like being served? How, how do we avoid temptation when, when sin, oh man, it is so appealing and it seems so great? What is our motivation to continue to do what we know we need to be doing throughout the course of this year? We see the answer in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. There's a payoff. You want to know why you should stay motivated. You want to know why you should continue to strive for godliness. Because there's a payoff. The payoff is in this life and, more importantly, the life to come. And that payoff comes when we strive for godliness. What's the payoff? When we're giving it our all, when we are striving for, when we are training for godliness, we will develop a deeper relationship with God. And whether we know it or not, that is something that our soul, our very soul, oftentimes craves. Listen to what the psalmist would write in Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Two thousand and twenty two is a new year. With a new year comes new opportunities. Maybe with your new year has come new things. Maybe Maybe you're enjoying a new job. Maybe you're enjoying a new hobby. Maybe you're, you're enjoying a new love in your life. Maybe you're enjoying a new car. I don't know what it is. But maybe there's something in your life that you're enjoying that's, that's new. I'm glad you're enjoying it. But remember this. There will come a point in this year or you will find yourself once again dissatisfied with your life. Because the things that I just mentioned, those are not the things your soul craves. Your soul craves a deeper, stronger relationship with God. And oftentimes we try to feed that with the things of this life only to find that inevitably, at some point in the year, in this new year, I am just as dissatisfied with my life as I was in 2021 or 2020 or 2019. And why? Where does that come from? Because there is a craving. There is a craving for a deeper relationship with God that comes deep from within all of us. That Craving can only be satisfied 
as we strive to live a godly life. So this year, as, as God has put new breath in our body and it has put a new calendar on the wall, will we decide, will we decide to, to set the bar high and say, I'm going to strive to live a godly life this year? If you're here today, if we can help you with this or any other needs you might have, won't you come as we stand and sing?